Hey everyone, just about every episode you hear a promo for my Patreon, but I try not to beat people over the head with it too much because I know that we all have a million things competing for our time, our attention, our money, and I know we all have a ton of services that we're subscribed to already. But I wanted to take a step back for just a moment here. First, I want to thank everyone who is or has been a patron. We have close to 70 paid subscribers, and when I say that your support enables me to do what I do, I mean it sincerely. Your support allows me to cover the costs associated with keeping this and my other podcasts running, including research material, equipment costs, and the ongoing fees associated with hosting my digital media files online and distributing them through the various platforms. So thank you all truly. It really means a lot. I also want to let everyone know, patrons new and old, that I have recently overhauled my Patreon reward tiers. So we've shifted some things around. We've introduced some new incentives. We have inside scoops where you'll be the first to know about what I'm going to record and you'll have the opportunity to submit a comment or question. We have a new easy listening reward where you'll get episodes early and commercial free. We have, of course, our sponsorship tier. We have a new, what I'm calling Kryptonian Science Council reward tier where you have the opportunity to join me and fellow patrons for a roundtable discussion. There's a lot of really cool stuff. Perhaps the big ticket item, the one that I really want to make sure everyone knows about is our brand new spinoff podcast called Beyond Metropolis. So Superman and the City of Tomorrow will always be home for me, but there's a whole world outside Metropolis City Limits. Now on this new spinoff, Beyond Metropolis, we'll be applying the digging for kryptonite approach to the rest of the DC universe. So hop in the supermobile as we rocket to Star City, Themyscira, Coast City, Atlantis, Central City, Gotham, and more, examining the stories across time and media that have shaped the rest of the icons of the DC Universe. This new monthly podcast debuts in November. We'll be starting with Hal Jordan's wild ride from Emerald Twilight through Green Lantern Rebirth. I can't wait to get into this. I hope you will join us. Please check out patreon.com slash Anthony Desiato, and thank you all for the support. For decades, the history of the DC Universe has been marked by its crisis-level events, status quo-altering storylines that have rewritten continuity while also providing a meta-commentary on DC Comics publishing itself, and all under a signature red glow. This is Red Skies, a 13-part podcast epic, mining these events and the Superman of it all. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. This is Red Skies, Chapter 13, a.k.a. The Finale. And joining me to discuss the most recent but surely not the last crisis event from DC Comics, a.k.a. Dark Crisis, is the owner of Acme Comics in Greensboro, North Carolina, returning guest, Lord Retail himself, Jermaine Exum. Welcome back. Hello. Hello, Anthony. You know, you said owner of Acme Comics, and I was still like, where? Where? (laughs) Part of me still did that. You know, it's still still a little new to me, being uh, being able to answer to that. Still a little new to me. I think you said the same thing when I had you on last time to talk about Bendis Superman, but maybe by the time we have you on again, it will have settled in for you and you'll, you'll have grown accustomed will. to it. I, I guess maybe for people that don't know, that don't know me, I, I, let me do a little bit of a uh, lead in. I have worked at Acme Comics since 1996, which I guess technically means that I have sold every one of these stories and pitched every one of these stories uh, except for Crisis on Infinite Earths. So I think that a a good, an element of this conversation might be 
from retailer point of view, I think that might be an aspect that comes into play that, that I can provide, maybe. So just to set the table for everybody. So we're here to talk about Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths, the seven-issue 2022 miniseries by Joshua Williamson and the artist whose name, whose pronunciation we were debating right before we hit record. So Daniel Sempere or Daniel Sempere, depending on on your pronunciation, but those are our chief uh, creators on this work. And we also took a look at some of the lead-up material. I read the Infinite Frontier miniseries. I took a look at, though I did not fully read, the Justice Incarnate miniseries. Oh no, that was that was the one. That was the one I really thought that uh, had some stuff for you in it. Eh, listen, well, we'll we'll get to all of that, but I, I I at least got the gist of it, and and then I did look at some of the ancillary material, some of the tie-ins to Dark Crisis. Uh, okay. Most particular, the Superman one shot where we see Superman in his in his fantasy world where he gets to watch John Kent grow grow up. Uh, I also read the Big Bang one shot by Mark Wade that takes us to oh, the, the tour of the new the new Earths and all of that. But primarily, again, that miniseries is is what we're looking at here. And the long and short of it is, I think, from a from a thematic standpoint, as far as what this is about, it's really showcasing Nightwing and the younger generation of the DCU stepping up and 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 leading and standing in for the Justice League of America, who are presumed dead, though not presumed dead by the readers or the characters. Everyone, both in the fictional world and the real world, knows that they're coming back. But for this period of time, we really have this next generation led by, by Nightwing. But then... When we talk about the crisis side, the crisis machinations of all of this, we have the return of the character Pariah from the original Crisis on Infinite Earths, utilizing the power of the great darkness to lead a dark army composed of all the heavies of the DC Universe, Darkseid and Doomsday and Neron and Necron, to restore the true multiverse, the original pre-crisis multiverse of Infinite Earths that was destroyed in the original Crisis. Uh, so that's the initial setup for this, and well, t- well done, well done. Thanks. I've been doing a lot of these, um, and I got to tell you, man. After explaining metal and death metal, this is no problem. And I'll also say, compared to reading metal and death metal, this was a breeze. Oh, this was such a breeze. But yeah, um, I, again, let me let me toss it to you though. What's uh, what what did you want to share? Um. Well, if you might indulge me for a second, you know, just 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 a little bit, um, I did kind of want to talk about um, some of these crisis storylines just briefly because I've been listening to it so much. It's like you know, I, I want to say a little bit about it. Um, so there was something that either you said during, I believe, zero hour, which I think I listened to that one three times just to figure out where it was, or something you said or the guest said that you expanded upon, and it caused me to begin to take notes on on a subject matter. And, you know, like I said, I I didn't write down the quote. I just started taking notes. And then, you know, a couple of days passed. I was like, why was I taking these notes? Don't remember. Continue forward. Um, I'll just begin by saying this. Crisis on infinite arts, as far as the uh, motivating opponent or or whatever, it wasn't personal. The anti-monitor was like, I hate matter. I hope you guys love antimatter because that's what I got for you, right? That wasn't anything personal, right? Um, zero hour, super personal. Hal Jordan had lost Coast City. 
He wanted power from the Guardians to, to bring it back or reverse it somehow. They were not being helpful. He got more power and figured out how to do something, not just for himself, but he's like, I can fix everything for everybody. That was a really personal motivation. Um, Infinite Crisis, which I do have a lot of opinions on that one um, at the time and now. Um, I think that was personal. That was personal in that you had your surviving characters um, from Crisis on Infinite Earths had been looking at the resulting DC Universe slash reading comics and didn't like what they saw. They had sacrificed everything for this. Didn't like what they saw. Started making changes. Personal. Um, Final Crisis. Not really personal, right? There was no real, like, uh, I'm doing this because. Um, Right, Dark Side, Anti-Life, that's his whole thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Metal and Death Metal. I guess they weren't personal. I guess. You you had, you know, Batman who laughs from, from a, you know, terrible reality that wanted to make our DC multiverse terrible, too. But I don't quite know if that was personal or is another like anti-modern situation. I, I don't know. Um, Doomsday Clock. Do you feel, based upon what I'm saying, was that personal or not personal? I think that one walks a line because there's such a coldness to what Manhattan does. He's motivated by that cold curiosity to see how the universe will respond to these changes in the timeline. But by the end of it, he is inspired and he is motivated by more of this personal desire, I feel. So I think ultimately I would probably put it, I would probably put it in the personal category, but it definitely walks a line. Now, depending on what you're looking at, if you look at death metal, if you look at dark crisis, both of them rewrite what Dr. Manhattan was doing. But if we really look at, just Dr. Manhattan in the pages of Doomsday Clock. Yeah, more than not, I would put it in the category of the personal. But I just found that terribly interesting, and I'd never really looked at it that way, you know, as far as, like, why these things were happening. Also, I'm so happy that you reacted positively towards the majority of what Doomsday Clock was doing, which was a very pro-Superman story. It really was a very, like, this is why Superman is enduring and it's letting the reader know, and it was literally letting Dr. Manhattan know, like, because he was curious, like, what an interesting place the DC Universe is. Well, who's this guy? Who's this Superman guy? Why is he always there? Maybe if I, I wonder if I do this, do I get the same guy? If I do this, do I get the same guy? You know, I, I really was hoping that you would appreciate that element, that there wasn't like this, you know, Superman puts Manhattan in a headlock and they, he, he defeats him that way. It wasn't even about that. It was about Manhattan was inspired. That's how powerful Superman is, right? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, having, having analyzed this, what you did, all these crisis storylines, do you feel that they were all editorially driven or some of them, a creator said, I have a story to tell. Can we tell my story? Oh, metal and death metal. I think that was all Scott Snyder. Even if the inception, even if the inception was, hey, we need an event, I think that what that became was was 
totally him. I, I could be wrong, but I, I read it and I, I get that sense. I tend to agree with that one. I don't know. So death metal was a crisis. It wasn't labeled that way, but you have a new DC universe at the end of that story. You, you do. And, you know, getting into that lead up material that we're about to get into. Um, the interesting thing about that is part of the story will be that your DC heroes and villains and civilians, they know what crises are. They're aware of that now. They're aware that, hey, sometimes something happens to us where I don't know what high school I went to anymore, or maybe I never worked at this place. I don't know. I don't know when it happens. The characters are aware of that, which is fascinating. Completely fascinating. Fascinating, one way to put it. I, 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 I was not a fan of that, and we can get into it, but you're right. There is now this awareness, not just within the costumed community, but from civilians as well. And there's a point in Infinite Frontier where the resurrected Roy Harper is on a spacecraft with Hector Hammond. And Hammond specifically says, oh, when the universe was restarted, I was restored to my factory default settings. No and giant I, head anymore. And I remember reading that and I said to myself, that, that is insane. That is insane. It's like, it's one thing, look, of course there's a suspension of disbelief with, with all of this that we're reading. But we can sort of wrap our heads around, well, what might happen if a guy who flies landed in, in, in the streets? Well, like, what would happen? How would the world react? We can kind of wrap our heads around that. This idea of knowing I was erased from reality and brought back and my history was changed is insane. And I get the temptation. I genuinely get the temptation to explore that. And it's, it's a new facet of all of this. So I, I totally get the instinct, but to me, I don't know. I think this kind of goes back to the similar problem that I had with the metal events of this, these, you know, drawing these connection points between everything and sort of taking away what, what little mystery or wonder uh, might, might remain. So I, I was not really a fan of that. I think it's interesting to a point, but I, I, I was not on board with that. So uh, there was an issue of the series Astro City, which was a very, uh, you know, it, it was a series by Kurt Busiek that had a lot of uh, analog characters and concepts for, for other comic book tropes and stuff. And there was a mail away, well, not I mean, wizard one half issue. And the subject matter was simply a regular guy, citizen, that he remembered being married before a crisis event took place. And he remembered that and he just carried around this, this, this uh, memory of what he had. And I always found that kind of interesting that it really summed up what sometimes takes 12 issues to do and re it down into one comic book experience by a regular citizen that I'm here, I guess, but I know it used to, be completely different from this for me on a personal level. Um, but at this stage of our comic book reading, right at this stage and with things like the multiverse being like a, a water cooler conversation, the everyday conversation amongst regular people, the word multiverse might pop up. Is it fun now where it's where the DC characters like, I don't know, maybe a crisis happened. Is that fun or you're just like, that should never be so. They should be aware of this type of thing. I, yeah, I just think it, I, I think it's, it's 
too far for me. I don't know where the line is. I don't know because maybe there's a degree of it that I would be more okay with. I mean, I don't know. Cause on the one hand, before these, these last death metal in particular and, and dark crisis, and the characters of the, the the costume characters of the DC universe only had this vague notion of what had occurred in Crisis on Infinite Earths, right? They knew they fought the Anti Monitor and Barry died, but like they didn't know uh, the specifics of it. So it's I don't know. I feel like it's it's one thing for our characters to know, but even that too. That you know, Alan Scott has a line. It might be in one of the the tie-ins where he's like, you know, we were erased from reality a couple of times. It might happen again. I I, I don't know. There's this like a level of of kind of self awareness that. I, it for me is just a little bit of a bridge too far, but look, I gotta, I don't want to bury the lead here with this. And I appreciate, you know, you kind of walked us through where we've been so far in this event. And I appreciate it. And we'll have, sure, sure. We'll, you know, we'll have an opportunity later if there's anything else you want to share, but any other, any of the other events we talked about and, and I might have a couple of other follow-ups as well. But the thing with this is again, the, the emotional arc of this, of Nightwing leading the surviving heroes after the justice league is, is off the board. I thought that was strong. All of the Nightwing Deathstroke business, obviously playing into the history that those characters have. Uh, that piece of it, I thought was strong and was compelling. But on the crisis side of this, we just got done with death metal, which left us with, and I quote, an infinite web of multiverses. So it's not just one multiverse. It's infinite multiverses, right? It's this infinite frontier that can now be explored. And apparently that wasn't sufficient because in this event, again, we get the restoration of that original multiverse, not Perpetua's original multiverse, not that one, but the one that we know from pre-crisis <laughs> continuity. Those infinite Earths. But even then, no one... No one wants to throw away this Grant Morrison map of the 52 that we're always drooling over. So now, as Mr. Terrific explains, our multiverse of 52 powers the infinite. So the map is still intact, but now there is the, the, these infinite Earths beyond it. And once again, just as we had an infinite crisis, and I guess even in Zero Hour before that with Hal Jordan, someone claiming that they can fix things, that the right multiverse or the right Earth needs to be back. There we have Pariah. And it is just baffling to me that we have this event two years or less after death metal. And I don't begrudge DC having an event. They're always going to have an event. But for it to be a crisis level event and to still be world building and tinkering with the architecture of the cosmos of the DC universe hot on the heels of death metal from a creator who was part of that group. It's like Snyder, Tynan, Williamson. It's like th three peas in a pod, these guys. So I don't, it's it's just it kind of exhaust. I mean, I know I've used the word exhausting and talking about the death metal <laughs> stuff, but to, to be perfectly honest, in retrospect, the problems that I had with metal and death metal, sort of the relentless, tiresome world building, I still have those issues, but I at least feel like those stories had a little bit more of a reason for being or Snyder at least had a larger point that he got to that kind of justified it. I look at this and again, with the exception of the Nightwing piece, it ju this just feels so superfluous so soon after Death Metal. And it was the first time in all of these events there have been plenty of times, right? Virtually every event we've talked about, there are things I like, things I don't like, right? There are creative decisions I might disagree with. But this was, I think, the first time that really kind of from that publishing perspective, I found myself annoyed 
with DC? Like, what are you guys doing? And this crisis moniker should, should mean something. And I feel like they, and I'm not saying there's no value to any of this story and I'm not putting down the creators and they did some great work. The art is gorgeous, but I just feel like it, it just, it really turned me off. So item one, I know that some of these uh, stories uh, for Red Skies you've read for the first time, a couple of them. I don't think anybody's supposed to take in this many crises in the amount of time that you did. You took in a lot of stuff in a short, short period of time. But, you know, as far as like uh, as far as real world goes, you're absolutely correct. There is essentially no time between the conclusion of death metal and here comes dark crisis. Even in our, uh, even in the Infinite Frontier uh, miniseries, there's a moment with Psycho Pirate, which was utterly fascinating, who literally says, uh, this place is a month old. This DC universe you're talking about is one month old. And, you know, no one knows that but him, of course. But, again, that's what, what my question was as far as, like, do you believe these... This story is editorially driven versus I have an interesting story I would love to tell someday. Let's do it now. I, look, I th- I can't answer that in reading it, to be honest. And like I, I don't have evidence to back this up, but my sort of my gut reaction, I, I feel like the Nightwing Deathstroke piece feels the most genuine and earned. The crisis Definitely. piece, I don't know. But, at, you know... Part of me feels like DC said, hey, we should do another crisis. But on the other hand, Josh Williamson grew up reading all the same stories I did and that I just read and reread for this event. So maybe this was his opportunity. He was been chomping at the bit to do a crisis story. And even though we just had one, you know, to your point, And here's the thing. I don't I don't dispute this at all. I fully recognize these events are not meant to be consumed the way I've consumed them. At the same time, I'm glad I did it this way because you see how they play off of each other intentionally or otherwise. So it's really it's been kind of, yeah. it's been really fascinating. And again, though, that, that argument only goes so far because, and I get, we, we both acknowledge it. It's like, even if I had been reading this in real time, we're still talking in 2020 and 2022. The other thing too is there was a very short period of time between infinite crisis and final crisis. Once again, just a couple of years. But to me, why that was so much more palatable was that I feel like those stories were were aimed at different targets, right? The Infinite Crisis ultimately gave birth to to the fifty two, the new you know, not the new fifty two, but <laughs> the multiverse of fifty two. But again, that was a more personal story, and we had the original quartet from Crisis coming back, and that was its own thing, and that was really playing off of again everything that had been building in the DCU for those few years leading up to it. And Final Crisis again was was this whole other thing with dark side and anti-life and 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 again getting into the the machinations of how this new multiverse works and mandrak this ultimate evil that's waiting at the end so i don't feel like even though those were very close in time it did not feel like they were stepping on each other's toes whereas here and my frustration is compounded by the kind of the infuriating way the metal events and doomsday clock interacted or didn't interact with each other and i can Forgive it to a point because I think there were just changing winds at DC and things maybe got a little bit a little bit crossed there. Yeah, but, but whatever. Yeah, that's a thing. But so there's a little bit of that frustration still lingering. But again, to me, to have spent all of that time to end up with this with these infinite multiverses and then instantly spin around and resurrect 
infinite Earths within a multiverse. It's just, it just is like, stop. Like you guys gotta stop. And because I'm saying to myself, what, what are like, what are we doing here at a certain point? But look, here's the thing, man. And again, I know we talked about having you on for Bendis and it's like, I, you know, I feel bad because it's like Bendis is your buddy. You seem to enjoy the run. I mean, we talked for two hours. It's still, I still couldn't say definitively whether you liked it or not, but I'm going to say you liked it. I, I did like it. You did I like did, it. I did like it. Uh, you know, similarly it, rem- here, it remains in my collection. Yes. It's like, look, I know you, you know, look, you have your relationship with creators and that's important. And you're here, not that you're BSing your customers, but like you're here in this capacity of connecting them with material explaining things to them, sharing things with them that you think they'll like, explaining to them, hey, if you want to get the full picture of Dark Crisis, you got to read Shadow War. You got to read Justice Incarnate. Like, you know, that's there. You have these books on your shelf. You want to sell them. Like, I I get that. So that's why leading into this, I'm like, I feel bad. (laughs) Bring them on here, like dump all over this thing. But let me, let me ask you sincerely. I mean, what, what reaction have you gotten from your customers to Dark Crisis? Like, were they all in on this? Were they having any of the same issues that I did? Like, I am genuinely curious. Okay, good. That that This is why I'm here. Because there is something about participating in a story like this, like these, you know, not Crisis on Infinite Earths, because while I remember seeing it on a spinner rack, I was not reading DC at the time. Wouldn't for years. But there's an element of participating on a weekly slash monthly basis with these type of things where there's a, Oh, what's going to happen next? Or, Oh, what installment came in this week? That's a different energy versus reading it um, in collected form. Also, I was curious if you've read all of these through iPad or if any, any of them, you like pulled a book off the shelf. Oh, it's curious. been a mix. Some of them I've had in trade. Some I've read on my iPad, some like dark crisis. Right. I have the, the issues. So it's been a mix. Cause I was really curious if that, played a role in your exhaustion with just so much stuff compacted together. Did the iPad, were the iPad reads exhaustive or were those were not the exhaustive ones where you're just like, I can't do, I got to put this down today. Uh, Cause it's like, I read infinite crisis on an iPad and I was totally fine with that. I read metal on an iPad and that was exhausting, but it was exhausting for the reasons that I, I mean, here's the thing I get, I totally get the questions and it, and they're fair. I think, I mean, ultimately who, who, who am I to say, but I feel like I know myself well enough to know when, when there are things like that that might be working against me. But I don't, I don't think that was necessarily the case. Your point is well taken. Like I definitely, yeah, I was just I've, curious. I've been there for the events where I've been picking them up as they come out, and 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 yeah, there there definitely can be an excitement. You get caught up in it, but but I don't know something like Doomsday Clock. I did not read that as it was coming out. I bought it as it was coming out, but I didn't read it until it was done, and I I love it. And then you know, and that's the other thing too, where. The Metal Wars, Doomsday Clock, Dark Crisis. I feel like the the events that Doomsday Clock is like sandwiched between, like I feel like they're bending over backwards to accomplish ultimately the same thing of saying everything, everything has happened, everything matters, everything counts. And again, they continually rewrite Doomsday Clock. And I have another example here from Dark Crisis, but, oh, that's the, well, I'll get to that in a second. But of those three, Doomsday Clock is the one that has the permanent spot on my bookshelf, and it's the one that I see myself going back to in the years to come. Yet, in a t- in a strict sense, it's it's the least canon out of all of them. But you know, it, it, we 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 find you know it's 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 the sort of thing like we make our own head canon at, at a certain point. But it's just kind of funny yeah. to me. 
So you know, going back to that real quick, thinking back to your question, I believe that retailers were either told or I extracted this from some interview. I don't know that Doomsday Clock was happening, quote unquote, about two years from now. You know, you, you were saying we don't know when this is taking place at all. It was simply two years from whatever's on the shelf right now, which is super vague. Yeah, super vague. But I'm trying to think that if a person bought all of death metal, right? Like, I feel like there were as many tie-ins as there were chapters of the actual story. If I'm not mistaken, I, I feel like if you were doing death metal, you may have bought 25 count books. I don't know. So doing Dark Crisis so soon afterwards, there was a little bit of fatigue. There really was. You know, some of our diehard DC is my brand customers, I'd have to say, you probably should look at this Dark Crisis thing. Because they were kind of like, you know what, I think I'm going to skip this one when they've skipped nothing. They've skipped nothing. Now, again, from retailer point of view, we did learn that with issue number four, the name of the series changes from Dark Crisis to Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths. And, you know, for me, that lets that lets me know, okay, there might be something different going on here. This, is, this might be something to look at and, and to make sure our DC people are, you know, considering it, giving a little bit more consideration. That added some, from marketing point of view, because we haven't read the books yet, it added something. It added some gravitas. It added some some weight to it. Dark crisis on infinite earths. That that's a thing, right? As far as marketing goes, you know, before we actually read anything, but there was indeed some fatigue, and I think that DC knew that, and that there were. Well, I was about to say there were less tie-ins than death metal. I think there were, but there still were some ancillary branches. There were there were some ancillary branches on on this one. There were. I'll say this. I didn't read many of them and I didn't feel lost. So I will say, I think they did a good job of making them complimentary without making them necessary. So you had the seven issue miniseries you had, I think it was a five issue young justice miniseries, which I will get to in the future. Yeah. Cause I love young justice. You had a multi-part storyline in the flash where Wally goes looking for Barry who's lost in the multiverse as he always is. Uh, I didn't read that, but it's like, nah, they find him eventually. I yeah. <laughs> Which is not like me, but I, I, did, I think they sold out, and that's why I didn't read them, not because of lack of interest, but those issues did sell out off the shelf. Um, and, and then, of and course, when you read a crisis story, you're accustomed to a character showing up with new information or a new item, or they show up with a solution, but there was probably a book you could read to, to get that, like uh, uh, the Swamp Thing, what was it, uh, Deadly Green? That's where you get some information about the true nature of the problem. But they also tell you in the series too. Perfect example. So I that was one that I skimmed through, but I didn't do a full read. But yeah, what you learn in that, right? Because throughout the story, it appears that the dark, that the the great darkness is manipulating Pariah, and then you find out no, he's actually tapped into a, a small piece of its power, and he's the one who's corrupted it. But if you don't read that one shot, you get John Kent storming into Dark Crisis in the next issue and being like, "Oh, it's it's not the great darkness; it's Pariah." So you get the information. <laughs> Oh yeah, comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. Visit them in person at one of their three locations, Harrison, New York, which happens to be my local comic shop, Skokie, Illinois, or Muncie, Indiana. If you have children and have been looking for a family-friendly store, look no further. 
Join All Yeah for exciting events, including creator signings, how-tos, and more. Visit awyeahcomics.com and follow All Yeah on social media for more. Their name says exactly how they feel about it. Say it with me. Aw, yeah. Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store. Established in 1982 and under new ownership since 2020, Moose sells a wide selection of new and old comics from every publisher, action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose in Whippany, New Jersey the next time you're in the Garden State. And be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. Um, e- even when you say great darkness in DC Comics terms, you've potentially said something. Like for me, when you say great darkness, you're thinking about the original great darkness saga from Legion of Superheroes from the early 80s. In which case you had a situation where you learn exactly how powerful Darkseid is. That's basically what's going on. You learn how powerful he is. But then through this storytelling, and even in Infinite Frontier, which Williamson did, he did a lot more setup than I thought he did. I kind of thought this story came from out of nowhere, and it, it really didn't. It really didn't. Um, you learn that the great darkness is this thing beyond Darkseid, beyond anti-life or whatever. It's this thing, this motivating thing that wants to just cancel all comic books or something. I don't really know what his goal is. And I can't tell if through the reading, is it like, are they talking about bad editorial decisions? Because it all comes down to there's this darkness that wants something like uncommonly not great to happen to a character. That's kind of what it gets down to. You know, if you kind of analyze what's going on. I didn't know if that was trying to make some type of statement that there's this thing that is a part of DC Comics. Just like Crises are part of DC Comics, the multiverse is from DC Comics. There's this like great darkness that really wants things to be like this. I don't know. I don't know if you thought about it in that capacity. Like, what is this great darkness? And and it's super vague. I, I still don't know exactly what it is. You know, even in... Uh, uh, during Bendis's Legion of Superheroes Justice League miniseries, they talked. They referred to this vague darkness that I don't know if he knew what it was or if he was asked to mention it because it was super vague even there. So this this points to the other the other big big problem that I had with this was we just got done with this reveal that Perpetua, the creator of the original original multiverse, who had been trapped away in the Source Wall. Right While she was trapped in the source wall, she had whispered in the ears of past crisis instigators, right? And we've, even Dr. Manhattan, there was, there was a bit about how he was trying to fix the, uh, the, 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 you know, the, the, the fractures due to past crises, right? We got, which is like, no, that's not really what he was doing. But anyway, we have that double page spread that's like seared into my brain from, from, uh, from death metal. <laughs> or maybe that was from the Justice League run, I forget at this point. But uh, of seeing, again, all of these past players, right, who had been you know, unwittingly influenced by Perpetua. And then in Justice League Incarnate, I did read this part. I think it was issue four or five. And then they, yeah, re- it they happens again. <laughs> and then they reprinted a portion, a condensed version of it in the free comic book day special. So it got, they really wanted to make sure people understood that, yes, there is this, this force, right? The idea is, I guess at the very beginning, right, there's darkness, there's nothing, right? And then there's the light and there's the light and the darkness. Now, 
I feel like maybe someone was a fan of Supernatural because we had a whole season of that television show where the darkness, <laughs> a.k.a. God's sister, uh, was brought back and, you know, uh, tried to bring about the end of all things. And then God had to intervene. This was before God became the ultimate villain of the series. But we had a little brother. I've never brother, seen it. I had no idea it got oh, yeah. in, into that uh, uh, territory. But at what point, though, having read what you've read, at what point is this just part of DC brand? This is what we come to expect from a DC story, that there's some type of either a character or some type of idea that's doing these things. So the reason that, that Extant did this was really because of that. It was really because of that. You, you keep pulling back further and further and further. Is this just part of the brand? I don't know. It's a perfect question. I want to answer that. But again, I'm, I'm looking at this one of this one of these panels where, again, it's literally the hand of the darkness wearing Gog and Extant and Superboy Prime as, as finger puppets, right? So they have been, again, unwittingly uh, manipulated here. You know, they don't show us parallax, but I, we talked about Parallax in the last episode when we talked about Perpetua. If we put all of this together, what the F is going on in Hal Jordan's mind during all of these events? He's got the Parallax entity, Perpetua whispering, the Great Darkness puppeteering him. What, what is this? And this is the problem that I have, Jermaine, is that <laughs> why I don't, I don't understand the, this inclination to try to undermine characters agency and i know the counterpoint and the creators themselves will probably say well we're not saying that they are being explicitly directed to do things it's just this it's like the evil within or, or the evil without i don't know that there's some level of influence there's some some sort of motivation that they can't put their finger on that's guiding them and i say it's like why why do we want to keep chipping away at these characters and again this this problem is compounded for me. It, it, Dark Crisis in a vacuum, sure, I, I, it probably wouldn't have bugged me that much. But so soon after Perpetua, like we just had this idea. I, it's just kind of, I don't, I'm really having a hard time with this because I really don't understand, especially from someone who was involved with the architecture of that event. It, it just seems like kind of an odd of an odd choice. And so we get kind of this history lesson and we see past events and Mandrak from Final Crisis was another avatar of the Great Darkness. And we have, again, yet another, another rewriting of Doomsday Clock where we're told the Great Darkness spread its influence across the cosmos and found a being of great power. It cursed the quantum life form with the task of weakening the heroes of Earth Zero by stealing time from their universe. It's like, man, that's that not only is that not what Doomsday Clock was about, but when you make it that, you know, again, Death Metal made it that he was trying to fix the multiverse. Uh, this makes it that he was being influenced. It's like, no, you you take away what what that story was about and what was earned at the end. And I like legit have a problem with that. There is a brilliant opportunity to never mention Dr. Manhattan ever again. You know, just let it be that moment of time where the characters interacted with something. The reader got to have something. We never talk about that again, certainly not in this manner, you know, where it is diminished every time it's referred to in that manner. You know what I mean? And that's kind of what I was getting at as far as like, at what point are they simply referring to DC editorial is the reason that this happened to this character or this character was made to do this thing. At what point is that what the great darkness is, is getting towards? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, again, I, I think that is a good question. I, I, and I don't, you know, look, I, I don't, 
I appreciate the work that went into this. On honestly, I, you know, not that I think Josh Williamson will ever listen to this. Well, I don't know. You're the guest, so he might, and he never does. It's like I again, I, I appreciate the work, honestly. Uh, and I look like, and I I can say this really about all of the events, all of them, Metal Wars, everything. They all genuinely feel like they're made, whether or not the the genesis for the event is editorially publishing driven. That that aside, the people who've worked on these books clearly have a love for the characters and for the history that always comes through and it comes through here. And I, and I do appreciate that. Well, that being said, I like, I appreciate your desire, your, your attempt to very generously try to find some sort of deeper meaning or commentary that the book is trying to make. And honestly, man, I just, I don't know. I don't know that it's there. I don't know that there's that kind of meat on the bone here. Maybe there is. And I'm just, it's, I'm glossing over it. I don't know. But I just, I'm not I don't saying, know. I'm not saying in a like, oh, this is, you know, if it was Grant Morrison, yes. But I'm just wondering if at some point, I'm not even saying it's passive aggressive. It's kind of just like, like you said, what are we even doing here? Why is this happening? As far as like, you know, you got to tell a storyline, but it's also like, we've done this. We've done this. So it's, it's like in X-Men comics, right? There came some storylines where Colossus went through some emotional, depressive stuff. He's still doing that decades later. Because I think that other writers are like, this is how this character works. This is what we do to this character. You think that there's something of that nature going on to say that this is DC Comics. This is what we do. Here's another crisis. You know, I, again, I, I think that's an interesting question. I would love to hear the audience's thoughts on that because I feel like. And here, you know, <laughs> it's funny. I was thinking about this, too. I think I might have just gotten to my in my mid 30s now. Maybe this is my, my cranky old man phase because I keep looking back at, again, my golden era of crises, like with Infinite Crisis, the final crisis, and then even again, looking back to Zero Hour and the original crisis. And I don't know. I mean, I, I don't, I, I feel like with, with the metal events and Dark Crisis, that's where I really feel like we're, we're spinning our wheels. I don't mean to keep beating up on death metal, but I think this kind of proves my point from an episode ago. And even the metal episode as well, where those stories went so big, like so big with the cosmic revelations and this, the, the infinite multiverses where it's like, where, where else is there to go? And Williamson, to his credit, he's like, well, all right, you got infinite multiverses, but you don't have infinite earths in the multiverse. I'll give you that. <laughs> he's like, I'll give you that. And he's right. He did. He did. But, but who wants that? I mean, I, and then, you know, here's the other <laughs> talking about how we're getting some kind of uh you know wires crossed here between uh, doomsday clock and the metal events but let's not forget <laughs> as dark crisis is coming out you got flashpoint beyond now we covered that a few episodes ago but there's uh i forget what issue it is but bleeding cool did a whole article about how you had these warring events that dropped key issues on the same day and in the in, in the flashpoint beyond uh, issue that came out the same day as one of the Dark Crisis issues. It's the one where Doctor Mr. Terrific is on a, a talk show and he's there with one of the Time Masters and he's explaining the Omniverse. He's like, the Omniverse is everything. And the Time Master's like, no. Like, those are all, that only refers to the, to the multiversal crises. We also have hypertime, right? And again, we talked about this where Flashpoint Beyond gave us this whole idea of the divine continuum, DC, right? Where you have... The omniverse. I just, I didn't notice that before just now. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, you go. So 
you have the Omniverse, which, and I, how many times have I said this, but you have the Omniverse and it includes now infinite multiverses, including the, this, now this multiverse of infinite earths, which, and the metaverse, right? Which is the, the prime one that everything kind of flows from and the dark multiverse. And then on the other side of this continuum, you have hyper time, which includes this vast web of, of alternate realities. Shout out to my old comic book store. So there's literally what's, you know, that we have infinite earths, infinite multiverses and infinite timelines. So we have everything. Do we have everything but now? At what point does that cease to mean anything? Thank you. And here's the thing. If you have these things, but never use it for anything, you never use these things, even with, you know, going back to hypertime. Cause, cause again, you know, I, I was a retailer. I was a, you know active DC, like plugged in reader. Hypertime suggested that there's a pathway to whatever story you want to get to at the time, whatever you want to use, there's now a means to get there. And they kind of only did it with hypertension and nothing else. And hypertension was great. It was such a fun story. I would have loved to have seen more stuff like that. But yeah, it's like they, they, they set up this groundwork, but then if you never used it, then a, what have you done? And B, it ceases to mean anything that you have multiverses within multiverses. It's like, okay, and I, I think I, we're I think we're on the same page here. I, but I got to tell you, I was curious to get more of a sense of what you were saying about this at the time. And I did a little a little Twitter search or X search. And OK. And I read this was this was you, you tweeted this in November and you said when people on uh, by the way, people should be sure to follow Lord Retail on Twitter slash X. Uh, you know, you break down Working all on blue books. Pay. Blue sky. All right. Follow. Make sure you follow. But you wrote in November, when people ask to see comics with Deathstroke doing things, Dark Crisis will now be a go-to suggestion. And you know what? I stopped and I said to myself, you know what? He's right. Deathstroke does do things. And by that metric, Jermaine, I think this story might be a winner. So it really depends on how you look at it. Now, facetiousness aside... That is the angle of this story that I think had some merit. So I, I get what you're saying. So it's like I took a million notes for Infinite Frontier. I took a million notes on Just League Incarnate. And I took some notes on Actual Dark Crisis. Um, there is a Thomas Wayne through line from Flashpoint to Tom King Batman through this and into Flashpoint Beyond. There is. You know, Williamson, he tries to rehabilitate that guy. He tries to rehabilitate that guy that did those horrible things to Bruce Wayne. He puts in a genuine effort where I was almost like, does he deserve this amount of rehabilitation? I don't know. There's a lot of work went into this thing. You know, a lot of work went into it. A lot of heart went into it. And a method through which I have sold Dark Crisis is to not really mention like multiverse stuff and simply say, this is a Nightwing versus Deathstroke story. And when I frame it that way, the, the person is usually like, okay, I'm going to try this. You know, I do not have history with new teen Titans. I barely have history with Titans. Like I have Titans comics. I do. I got the, uh, the uh, Dan Jurgens Titan series. I've got the Jeff John stuff from time to time. But I do not have, long-standing backstory in history and love for those characters. I really don't. Nightwing, yes. But Deathstroke has always puzzled me as a character. 
He is held in such high regard, but I do not understand the character. I barely understand how he works. I think he's supposed to be peak human like Captain America as far as strength and, and, and you know, a, a tactical mind. He's supposed to be those things, but he seems like he can't get past the Teen Titans ever in his endeavors or, or he can't let them go. I, I don't know what that is. I don't understand it. I, I never did. Um, he had a significant moment in identity crisis. He did. where He was able to defeat experienced heroes with ease. He had never done anything like that before or since, except for in this story in dark crisis, he has some moments and it literally does boil down to Nightwing, how he works, what he believes, what he represents and Deathstroke, how he works, what he believes, what he represents. And I think there's something to that, you know, a uh, sidebar question, counselor, um, at what age would you have loved this story? Because I think there's something in it that it, there's a, an age that you would have been where you would have loved Dark Crisis. Before I answer, years? we've almost it, totally it, lost you from the screen. <laughs> there you go. Okay. <laughs> so. I know there's two different uh, uh, lines of, of thought there talking about uh, Titans and also talking about at what age would you have loved this story? I don't know that there is one i it's very hard to answer though because like as, as i've talked there's, about right there's it, things in this well yes although i've never been i've never been a huge titans guy so i do i do love nightwing though so i think that even now though that resonated with me but it's I, you know why it's hard to answer because so much of my frustration with this is how again superfluous it feels in light of what's come before so had there not been the metal events, I yeah, I probably would have been a little a little gentler to this. But the, the problem too is that, although I guess this kind of further proves my point, the way that this stacks up compared to past events, like the whole idea of Pariah wanting to bring back his multiverse, so he'll be reunited with his family, right? You know, the the right multiverse needs to come back. We've we've had that, like we had that flavor when the quartet from the original Crisis returned. Right, all this business about the wrong Earth was saved. We have to bring back the right Earth. We're going to find the right Earth, and I feel like that was done for me at least in a far more compelling way. Like, I don't really feel like there was ever much here to make me care uh, for Pariah or about Pariah. Yeah, that's a character that I barely understand. I think through the Flash television show, I captured some level of understanding of how that character worked, um, but also given the nature of our DC universe that's been unstable since crisis on infinite arts in reality and in storylines been unstable to the point where a character that kind of knows how to figure out stuff can, can kickstart a crisis or try to change things. Is that not something that's subject to happen where, you know, not just a golden age Superman and, and Superboy prime can say, Hey, what's going on here? Another character could say, hey, what's going on here? I think that's something that's subject to happen. It's just that why Pariah? That's not, I know he would know how to do things. He would, but I barely understand that character. Well, that you know, it's funny because going back to the sixth dimension story from Snyder's Justice League run that led into Death Metal. At that point in time, this is going back uh, a week for me, but uh, the World Forger, was using Mixius Pitalik 
to destabilize reality to the point that it would trigger a crisis and he could bang his hammer on his crisis anvil to have his new multiverse replace the one that was there. Similarly here, Pariah is in the ruins of that original multiverse and he needs Deathstroke, his emissary on Earth essentially, to sow enough havoc that a crisis is triggered. And because this is Pariah's power, he'll be pulled to to this Earth, right? To then replace it with, with his. So like this idea now is gaining traction, right? That you can, a, a, a villain with enough power can, can quote unquote trigger a crisis, which yeah, is fine. If you know how. If you know how, yes. Which is, which if you have Morrison's map to the multiverse, if you flip, well, you flip it over and it's the dark multiverse, but maybe there's another little, maybe there's something you kind of peel up and then you open it and, and it, it lays out the instructions for this and you learn how to build a crisis anvil. But but, you know, your point is fair. Like, I don't know. I, I see, I look at that and I'm like, this is silly. And it's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's too, like, they're, they, all of the characters now, civilians included, I feel like we talked about this, have, for my money, too much awareness of a crisis, what a crisis is, what's happened before. And now this whole notion of like, we're going to, it's not just like, oh, we want to rewrite reality. No, we are triggering a crisis. <laughs> like, I don't know. It, it feels too much for me, but then I don't know this to your earlier question. It's like, no, is this just now kind of what it is? I don't genuinely is this think the, this is what it's always been. I don't feel like it. That's what it's always been, but I feel like now maybe that's what it is. But is this not the evolution of those type of storylines? If you do it more than three times, there's a reason why it was called <laughs> final crisis. <laughs> um, I was wondering also, do you think that, Infinite Crisis should have been called Final Crisis, and Final Crisis should have been called Infinite Crisis. Given the subject matters, I feel like you know at the time, given what was going on in Infinite Crisis, you could have called it Final Crisis. Because to call anything Final Crisis, you know for a fact it will not be. I thought that was kind of a misstep. No one believed that was the Final Crisis. They, they just didn't. True. Well, yeah. I mean, there's there might be something to that, especially because. That was a true sequel to Crisis on Infinite Earths. So even if you call it Final Crisis knowing, well, it's not going to be the final one, but it's kind of the, the final one in the sense of completing the loop on that original Crisis, which, yeah. again, I think that's further what frustrated me about Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths, that it's billed as the sequel to, to Crisis, where I feel like, and again, the, the old man in me, it's like, well, we already had a sequel to this. That was, that was to me, more compelling. I think that sometimes for me, there are moments where I've read a lot of comics. I know the function of these storylines, you know, when people are upset that, you know, they've just killed off my favorite superhero. How dare they? You know, I'm going to write a ton of letters and, and get a petition going. Your favorite character's coming back. But then to, to their readers have never experienced such a thing. They've never experienced a crisis. They've never experienced the, you know, death of a team. They've never had that happen before. So I, I try to like keep both things in mind that, well, that, you know. Oh, I wanted to ask that. So, you know, we've talked about you sharing this work with your customers. Was there anyone you can think of who, who was reading this and this was their first crisis event? And I'd be so curious to know how they took it. Um, it's so hard for me to remember because, you know, I'm, I'm in it week after week after week. It's so hard for me to remember specifics, but yeah, I, I can't remember anybody specifically. 
Um, because it's like, I do wonder who, I'm sure there were, I'm sure there were like, I do wonder who, you know, who this was for. I I mean, I guess maybe if you really are more of a hardcore Nightwing Titans fan, this, this would resonate uh, a, a little bit more. I don't know if you skipped, I, I wonder too, because death metal, like we've, I think we're in total agreement though. It wasn't called a crisis. It certainly was, but I don't know, maybe there, I don't know that there were enough people who either skipped it or didn't get it or, or what, where maybe there is a sense of like, oh, there's space for, for another one of these kinds of events. Uh, to me, it's in having just read it. It's like, it's insane to me to do this right after. But again, I guess clearly the feeling was, was different. So for me, what I think about right now, you know, with all this content being in graphic novel form is no longer coming out on, on a uh, single issue basis is how do I present this stuff to new people? If for some reason someone has maybe heard about Dark Crisis or, you know, maybe we're talking about like, you know, cool Nightwing stuff. I don't know. I would have them read Infinite Frontier. I would have them read Justice League Incarnate. I would have them read Dark Crisis because you do have something in that material, you know, all by the same writer. Now, granted, in Justice League Incarnate, um, uh, Dennis Culver is involved with the writing and a ton of artists are involved with the writing, you know, or or excuse me, the the art. I don't know if uh, in your scanning, you noticed that a lot of people were involved to get this thing done. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't the case on a infinite frontier. I would probably not mention death metal. I might say a crisis just took place. And you say that at this stage, a lot of people where they've read comics or not, they might know what a crisis is. They might I'll say a crisis just took place. We're on a new DC universe. It's not fully cooked yet. Here's what's going on. If someone comes in asking for Batman who laughs, okay, and that's what they're going to ask for. They're not going to ask for death metal. They're going to say, I want Batman who laughs. I might show them, I'm going to show them a a prelude to metal, metal, Dark Knight's Rising. I'm going to show them death metal. I'm probably not going to show them the, the Snyder run of Justice League. Probably not going to do that, but that is how I would present these things now. I don't think I would have anybody go from metal through a line to dark crisis. I don't, I don't, I personally, unless they insisted upon it, I don't think I would do that. No, I hear you. I would agree as a former retailer. I know I would agree with that. I think they would, there, there would need to be some interest shown, like you just gave the example of where it would make sense. Otherwise, yeah, that's a lot. It's a, it's a lot to put on someone. And again, Dark Crisis is very readable. It's it's downright breezy compared to what came before, right? I mean, I got through this quite quickly, so there's something to be said. For that. I think it's a far more palatable, digestible crisis event as opposed to something that you really have to wade through uh, a lot. Although at the same time, and this again, I can't believe I'm saying this after <laughs> after. The frustrations that I had with with metal and death metal, but at the same time, I think they were about something in a far more substantial way than Dark Crisis is about something. I feel like Dark Crisis kind of is going through the motions of what a crisis would be, but I don't know that it's achieving the same. And and yeah. This is someone who's just read all of them, read or reread all of them. In, in, in short I think succession. you damaged yourself doing this, this Red Skies. You damaged yourself in some manner. 
it's just it's too much. It's too much content. I, I but I I don't know, man. I because I I feel like again, Doomsday Clock was two episodes ago, and I was I was all there for it. So I so I don't know. I I really feel like if if there had been if there had been something more here, I would have gravitated to it. A, a couple of other things we t- we've touched on this, but the we had we had Infinite Frontier, we had Justice League Incarnate, but then what really kicks this off uh, in earnest is Justice League 75, the death of the Justice League. And of course I bought the cover with uh, the homage to the funeral for a friend from, from uh, my, my Superman story that started all of this for me. Uh, it's, it's interesting because like I said before, no one thinks the Justice League is dead, right? We, the readers know that they're coming back unless you really are new or you're, you know, kind of easily, <laughs> easily, uh, uh, manipulated, I, I suppose. But if you've been down, now, this- some of the characters aren't hundred percent sure. They're like, maybe this was it. So we might need to prepare in some manner. Sure. Sure. But again, I think for, for most of us reading this, you know, we know they'll come back and within the, within the pages of the comic, yes, there is a range of reactions, no doubt. Right. Uh, and there is a great conversation and, and I think it's road to dark crisis with, uh, John Kent and, and Dick Grayson, where they're talking about this and, you know, like Dick's been down this road before, right. Whereas this is newer territory for John, but even still, I feel like there are enough people within the pages of, of the comic who, uh, who, who don't believe that they're dead where I'm torn on this because on the one hand, I, I, I guess maybe there's something clever or subversive about the characters themselves knowing that this is likely not permanent, right? Like if, if, if the book played it totally straight, like everyone thinks they're all dead. We, as the reader are like, come on guys, like we know what this, what the deal is. Uh, so, so to have the characters have this awareness is intriguing, but I feel like ultimately it just, it like renders their quote unquote deaths even more pointless. Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated full-service comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina for people of all ages and walks of life. Now in its 40th year, this multiple-time Eisner Award nominee features a significant contemporary and vintage back-issue selection, as the Acme team uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material. Mail order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available anywhere via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay. Listen to the Acme cast on all podcast services and visit acmecomics.com for much more. Filmmakers and movie fans alike should be sure to attend these film festivals. Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. On a personal note, my short film, By Spoon, The J. Mizell Story, played at these fests, so I know firsthand what fun and well-run events they are. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts, available via a shared universe network. Well, there was an element of, we're not sure what happened to them in space, but Deathstroke and an army of guys is two blocks away. So whatever's going on with the Justice League, you know, the danger is at our doorstep right now. Um, I did want to roll back a little bit to, you know, just having read Final Crisis with that in your mind. I think that 
you did say you felt differently about that one now than you did uh, when it was initially releasing. And I think that is one that the more, the more you revisit it, maybe the more DC you take in, it, it improves upon reading over the years. You know, I, I think that it does. Um, but to roll back to Infinite Frontier, again, your, your characters are aware of crises. There's a special team kind of put together to like monitor for when a crisis might be happening to kind of catch it early, I guess. That's where we're at right now. Um, but you have the quote-unquote one true dark side okay, is in play. And I kind of stop with that for a moment because that should be awesome, which I didn't really know that Darkseid had any analogs. I thought there was one Apocalypse, one New Genesis, one Darkseid. But this is telling you all of the Darksides are now coalesced into one super Darkseid. And he is trying to do stuff, basically. And as you read, um, you know, the heroes are trying to stop him, et cetera, et cetera. But then you get into Justice League Incarnate, which there is so much multiversity in this. I think you'd mentioned that you hadn't read multiversity. Correct. When you read multiversity, there's a chance you're going to reread something here. You might, you might not, but there's so much that is in and from multiversity. Maybe it changes something. Anyway, Justice League Incarnate, you come to find out that Darkseid is trying to stop the great darkness. It, it, it's not him. He's trying to stop this. And of course, if he, if he stops it, he's still a major problem for you. But there's something larger than Darkseid. But again, it kind of, one true Darkseid becomes generic challenges of superpowers, you know, super friends, Darkseid pretty quickly. It becomes real generic where I've never been a fan of Darkseid in general physical combat like if, if superman forces the point yes but i do not like seeing dark side like punching and kicking people and running around i don't like seeing that that's what you had in, in uh just League incarnate but then that is where you get your uh, uh first taste that pariah is active and he has subjugated dark side and necron and neuron and eclipso these like beings of power are completely subjugated where they're not even they haven't been coerced or convinced. They're under control, top to bottom under control. And that kind of, I, I guess as a reader, I was like, oh, that's crazy. What is going on? If this is possible? Or it, it kind of takes these powerful characters that have motivated their own uh, uh, events and makes them kind of like just window dressing, I guess. They're there. And that's how powerful Pariah is, that he can subjugate these characters. But for some reason, Deathstroke retains autonomy for most of dark crisis where he he's for it. He's, he's influenced by the great darkness, but he's still making his own choices about how to do things. I didn't quite understand that one where dark side, maybe it's because they're so powerful. They have to not have autonomy. I don't know, but I kind of found that to be a little weird, but yeah, <laughs> there, there is a, there's a pathway in, you know, there was almost a dark side storyline where I think he might've been the main character up until he wasn't. And he just became a background character. You know, these powerful characters were, uh, they were dressed in like a dark energy, Jacob Marley chains, you know, that's uh, that represented because some villains were just there to create chaos, but these other ones they were wrapped up in the chains and it would spread. It, it would spread through proximity to, to Deathstroke. It would spread to other characters, but 
Dark Crisis is kind of it's kind of basic, right? It's kind of basic, but sometimes basic is okay. That's kind of why I was asking, like maybe if this story happened, maybe you read Zero Hour, and then five years later you got this story, would you have felt better? There's a lot of fan service in this thing. There's a lot of fan service. You know, when Cyborg Superman shows up and Victor Stone Cyborg defeats him and says, "You give Cyborgs a bad name." Like there's a lot of there's a lot of fan service in this thing. I think. Uh, some part of you at some point in life maybe would have been a little more like, oh, that was neat. Maybe. Versus that was dumb. Maybe. Maybe. And I, I mean, well, it's interesting the, the specific example you give of if it came after Zero Hour because that would put it before Infinite Crisis. And yeah, and I think that Pariah's motivation would have felt fresher, right? Because we wouldn't have had the Superboy Prime, Alexander Luther of it all already. So sure, maybe that at, at in the '90s as a kid, without without having Infinite Crisis, without having Final Crisis, and, and these others that have followed, yeah, I mean, may, maybe it would have. And I, here's the thing: a, a couple of things. Number one, again, I think for for what it's trying to do, I, I think I, I, it does it well. I mean, I, I'm not sitting here saying, oh, it's not it's not well told, or the motivations don't track, or or whatnot. I just, again, I, I have more more of a kind of a fundamental disagreement with. This, this book's existence in, in a well, way. Yeah, what was it trying to do? Uh, what was it trying to do other than, okay, we just had a crisis. Our new DC universe is kind of cooling off. We're figuring out what characters exist again, what storylines happened, didn't happen. And, oh, here's Pariah messing things up. Well, that's the thing. And this has been, and I know you know, so you listen to all these episodes, right? Like one thing that we've we've hit on a bunch of times is is, yeah, what is the motivation for these stories? And sometimes... Sometimes it is more functional, more mechanical, right? Again, all of these stories always have a lot of love, but something like Crisis on Infinite Earth, they wanted to clean up and consolidate continuity, right? So you got that. Dan Jurgens had a problem with Oliver Queen's age, right? He was like, we have to have zero hour. Uh, Infinite Crisis, right? We wanted to have this sequel to Crisis and bring back those characters and birth a new multiverse, and we had that. Final Crisis, again, kind of this larger, more existential meditation on, on the nature of good and evil in the DC universe, you know, and, and, and so on. And I feel like even something like Flashpoint wasn't, wasn't meant to be that, right? It was going to be this alternate timeline story, and then they sort of backdoored it into being this launch pad for a new continuity. Uh, I feel like in these recent years, and, and again, though, I still think the metal events and doomsday clock had more of a reason to be. I feel this was the one that just really felt like, I don't really know what we're accomplishing here that hasn't already been accomplished and hasn't already been, been accomplished much more recently. But to your, but to your point though, about the dark army, I mean, I land, you gave two options of how you might feel about seeing these, these heavy hitters chained up. And I, I, I wish I landed on the side of, wow, like that's really cool. Like this great darkness must be really powerful. But I was on the other side where it just felt like, I get why you're doing this. Like, I totally get why you're doing this. You have to set up the great darkness slash pariah. Well, how do you show that this is the biggest threat the DC universe has ever faced? Well, if he subjugates the biggest villains that they faced before, that'll show it. Like, I, I get it. I mean, that's the thing. I understand the, the instinct to do this. But I feel like just like it bothered me to reveal that Perpetua and then the Great Darkness were 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 influencing uh, past crisis instigators to now literally chain them up and take away any sense of self. I just I feel like it it, it undermines those characters. So I don't would know. That's kind of where I land. Would you have felt better if I'm not mistaken? Perpetua is not mentioned in this story at all. So I don't know if. if uh... 
you know, the fate that she met meant that she was erased from everything or did, did, didn't want to talk about that? I don't know. Would you have felt better if even Perpetua was, you know, and Batman who laughs were chained up? Or do you prefer to close the chapter on all that stuff? And not, uh, even though we did see the Batwoman who laughs in, in uh, Just League Incarnate, because, but would you felt better if there's more mention of her that we just dealt with this and now it's really that? I don't know. Yes and no. I mean, on, on, yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe, I don't know, because part of me feels like maybe that would have alleviated a little bit of my frustration. Because I think, I think there's this gut feeling as I'm reading it of like, you know, we just had death metal, right? Right? <laughs> I feel like that's, there's a little bit of that. So yeah, I don't know. May, maybe that would have alleviated a little bit, but I don't know. I, I, at the same time, it's hard for me to say, yeah, I think that would have, that really would have solved this. I also, I want to go back to Pariah though, because you mentioned like, you know, hard to kind of get a read on that character, what he's about and everything here too. I don't, I don't mean to nitpick, but Pariah so keeps talking about how he caused the destruction of his world, right? And, and set off the original crisis when he used that, that device of his. But going back to the original crisis, he ultimately learned that he, he didn't set off the chain reaction. Like he basically opened a door or created an opportunity that the anti-monitor was able to exploit. So yes, I mean, I guess ultimately he, he does bear responsibility for the fate that befell his world and, and his original multiverse, but it wasn't to the degree that it was painted in this. So is that the great darkness seeking another agent? You know, we did, I did extant before, I did the anti-life entity in Cosmic Odyssey. Now, uh, uh, Pariah just popped up again. Let me get in his ear, and it got out of control, or it was never that. Like the hero said, you know what? It's, it's not this great darkness thing. It is exactly and only this guy right here. Do you feel like that's what it was, or or, or none of the above, or it changed? Because like you said, you know, Pariah had kind of made peace with that until he did not make peace with that again. I think... And and though I didn't read that Deadly Green special, I think the the point of it is that the the darkness. I, I think look, my understanding, and I will probably get another crisis that we'll find out the great darkness is being manipulated by something else. But my understanding, at least, is that the great darkness is is real. I mean, in in incarnate, when we get that history lesson and we learn how the the great darkness has influenced past players. That is narration from one of the characters, but when it is represented to us in that free comic book day special, it's just kind of omniscient third person narration. So I do take that as gospel for whatever that's worth from DC. So I think it is the case that there, there was this war between light and dark and a tentative truce brokered by a swamp thing right back in the day. And that there was this influence being exerted. But I do think in the dark crisis, the point is made fairly clearly or definitively, I think, that Pariah was not being manipulated or controlled, but rather the opposite, and that he had tapped into, I think it was like a tiny portion of the great darkness. So I think ultimately this was all Pariah manipulating a piece of this larger power. But then, you know, when you're reading Just Like Incarnate and you're seeing Darkseid battling a giant aspect of great darkness, like literally getting batted around and stepped on by this actual character. You're like, well, what was that then? So it's, it's a little, 
is this what we love about DC or this is what we don't love about DC? I don't, I don't know. I don't no, know. This is not. But here's something. Of, oh, uh, good. No, no, I, no, I don't like this is, <laughs> I, I feel like I'll speak for myself. I, there, there's an aspect of all of these, you know, crisis shenanigans that you enjoy to a point, but I feel like there, there is a limit to it. It's not an infinite frontier. And I feel like we've kind of crossed that, but no, please go ahead. No, no other brand does this. No other brand does this. Um, I, because I couldn't remember everything that was happening in the real world at the time. Looking at Infinite Frontier, editor-in-chief is Marie Javins. Was Death Metal under Dan Didio, or at what point was he ousted? Then we have new leadership, and then we're doing Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths to kind of get something going. I wonder if that was part of, like you said, we just did something. Why are we doing anything remotely like this right now? I mean, that could, that could very well be, you know, uh, we, again, we've talked about this and it's come up again in this conversation too. You know, you might not know, or you might know, and you might not be able to say either way, totally fine. But what, what is your understanding of the whole doomsday clock slash metal business? Like, especially when it comes to delays, because I've heard any number of things about the doomsday clock delays that Jeff Johns needed more time, that Gary Frank needed more time, that, uh, that again, the DC was changing its direction and you had kind of these battling creative forces. I, you know, I've, I've heard a variety of things, so I don't, I don't really know. I'm just curious, like what your understanding is, if, if any, about what was going on at that point. I haven't, I don't really have any insight there. Um, that's fine. The workings of DC are very vague. Um, from my point of view, I, I feel like some creators at one point were saying something similar. I don't really hear much like that from creators now, but there was a, there was a point where, you know, if you kind of knew to read between the lines that it seemed like there was a period of time at DC where you weren't sure what was going on or if that was the place you should be. I don't know, but I'm not really hearing anything like that right now at all. Um, no, fair enough. There was what maybe was a doomsday clock reference in dark crisis when John Kent is trying to build his new justice league. And there's this montage uh, of him asking people across the DC universe. And when he gets to firestorm firestorms, like I can't not after, you know, is that a reference to his debacle in Russia? It would have to be because nothing, nothing else happened to firestorm other than that in recent times. Um, another thing about this story though, is it really did seem like, like you said, that a new justice league was, was being built that John Kent was recruiting characters. We're going to the, the brand new wonder girl. We're going to, uh, the Batman of New York city, Jace Fox. We're, these characters are about to take center stage while there is no justice league. That kind of didn't happen. They were ambient, but this became a, you know, Titans together. There's nothing wrong with that because the Titans have never really had their moment. It's a long-standing DC institution. I've always said that there are, there are three great houses of the DC brand: Justice Society, Justice League, Legion of Superheroes. Titans has been ambient, but up until right now, nothing. And you know, there's uh, uh, kids that have grown up with Teen Titans Go or Young Justice. And something that is working for me is I'm able to say. The Justice League is disbanded right now. Something just really over the top happened and they, they had to disband. Instantly, Nightwing says, the Titans, we're here. We've got it. 
we've got it. So for the first time ever, the, t- the Titans are your first layer and level of defense and response in DC Universe. And of course, that means all the supervillains are like, we'll see about that. So usually, you know, when I frame it in that manner, people are pretty excited about Titans right now. We're, we're selling a lot of Titans, uh, much more than previous Titan series. But no, that listen. I'm hoping that there's, I'm hoping that there's now a, a fourth house of the DC universe. No, that's cool. Again, that was, that was far and away my favorite part of all of this, you know, starting with Dick talking about the candle, right. In the bat cave, when he took the oath and he became Robin, uh, and this light that was lit and then getting to the, this full circle moment at the end where, uh, he and Bruce are reunited and Bruce breaks the candle. And he's like, this wasn't the light. You are the light, right? You, you kept me from the darkness, uh, when I was starting out and, and we were working together and you're that light for the DC universe. I thought that, you know, like that was really cool. Look, there were some things I liked. Uh, one of the members of the dark army was doomsday, but eventually when the great darkness is destroyed, you know, battle's still raging and John Ken is really holding the line, trying to buy everyone some time. And there's, this, they're still waiting for the justice league to return. And we'll talk about that uh, too. But you know, he's really, he's, he's against the ropes here and he's really taken a beating, but he's bought everyone the time that they need. And doomsday is closing in and John Ken, he's made his peace. He's, he's really kind of calm about what fate uh, awaits him. Uh, and then, of course, before Doomsday can deliver that final blow, Clark intervenes uh, and the two of them fight Doomsday off together. And, and uh, John's like, I've heard stories about you since I was a kid. And they're both like, never again. That was cool. And, and then, yeah, no, go ahead. That's what I call fan service moments. There are some moments in there that are really neat. Like when uh, when Hal Jordan and, and Barry Allen, the Flash, are about to you know undertake their missions and, you know, Barry Allen was like, you know, in brightest day. And then Al Jordan's like, run, Barry, run. Like there's some fan service stuff in there. It's kind of neat. So I'm just wondering if it, if it tips things over moments like that, the collection of moments like that, where you're like, eh, maybe, maybe, or if you're just like, no, this is not it. I mean, I don't want to be, I don't really want to be a jerk here, but it's like, I feel like, I don't, I don't want to say like fan service is cheap, but but it, it can be. It absolutely can be. But, it, you know, it's, it is manipulative. And it's like, yeah, I started with the death of Superman and I'm a dad and I tear up every time we have anything to do with Clark being a dad. And so, yeah, of course, if you give me a father son moment versus doomsday, it's going to elicit a reaction. But does that mean that it's narratively earned or that it, it, it makes me love the story? No, not necessarily. I will say, though, again, just as far as other little, little moments. You know, Black Adam, he plays a big role in this. And, uh, you know, at, at, at one point as a reluctant uh, trainer of of the this budding uh, Justice League, but doesn't feel like they have what it takes. And he's kind of on the sidelines and terrific gives him a little bit of a talking to. And, you know, Black Adam has this arc from, you know, wanting nothing to do with them to literally saying I would die for them or die with them. Uh, and then at the end, he pays uh, John a compliment where he says, at least you didn't die like your father did. And John's like, I don't know if that was a compliment or not. And Clark's like, yep, definitely was. You know, stuff like that was good. Uh, I do want to talk about those other the, the Justice League characters and where they were for a minute. But I just, I have to, <laughs> have to say, because I've been holding this in my hand and then I'll put it down. There was, when I was reading, this was number four of Dark Crisis. I swear to God, I almost, <laughs> I was almost done at this point where it's a scene with the Legion of Doom and Lex and Vandal Savage. And Lex says... Deathstroke is a concern, but in our time with the totality, we observed the multiverse's truth, and Vandal says, and lies. 
And Lex says, the idea of the omniverse was false. And at that moment, <laughs> I was like, listen, you did not ask me to learn all of this business about infinite multiverses and omniverse and divine continuum just to tell me like, it's not real. That that didn't really seem to go anywhere per se. But uh, for a fleeting moment there, I was I almost I almost hit a wall. I almost hit a wall. <laughs> but do you file that under you know we're making a statement editorially or the characters like whatever that was? I don't I don't believe that to be correct because you know that's not really a credible character I guess who's, who has shown to have a thorough understanding of things, you know, so I, I don't know. I, I did take note of that. And sometimes you do wonder about that type of thing. Yes. Yeah. As far as where the characters were. So Pariah placed them in these, these fantasy worlds. He gave, he gave them their heart's desire in order to create these like balls of crisis energy that he was using to bring back the infinite earth like you do as one does. And the one I read naturally was Superman. And, and so, and that was by Tom King and Chris Burnham who had done the Batman incorporated with Morrison back in the day. And yeah, I'm glad you read that one, you know, because, um, in the Ben to Superman story there, uh, when John Kent went away and came back at a different age, the parents missed time. But in this story, Superman got to have all of that time, but, some kind of not great things happened during all that time that he was there for. Yes. There's actually, I think it's in the infinite frontier number zero issue where Diana has become one of the hands of, of the multiverse, right? With all these other celestial beings and she's kind of getting a tour and they're talking about John Kent and like, this kid's a danger and they recount his history and it's like, you know, born on, born on one world that was then destroyed, like multiple realities that were destroyed. He ended up here. Uh, then he was, he was displaced in time and he was, you know, tortured by an alternate version of his father. And then he came of age in the future. It's like, we got to keep an eye on this kid. And I'm reading it. It's like, oh my God, they're right. I mean, what, what they have done to this character. So to, to have this, this one shot where you get to see, and I like the way it was structured where you, you know, a few chapters, so you can see John at 13, 14 and so on until he's 18 and I thought what was cool was you got to see how he evolves into his own version of a superhero, right? Where, you know, Clark's focus is more on what he's able to achieve here on Earth. He's not necessarily inserting himself into intergalactic conflicts, but John does just that. You're giving me a funny look. Do you, would you disagree? No, no, I was uh, rolling up my notes because there's something I didn't oh, want to mention. <laughs> he gave me a look where I was like, oh, I don't know, maybe, maybe I misread this, but... So he gets involved and broiled in this uh, this war on Ran, uh, where Orion is invading apparently. And but anyway, I thought it was a cool way to show how John becomes his own man. Uh, and just you know, I'm I'm not there yet. My son is only four. But there's you know a scene where he's I don't know maybe 17 at this point, and uh, there Lois and Clark are waiting up for him. Well, Lois is mostly sleeping, sleeping, but Clark is waiting up. And he's using his super hearing, and it's like. You know, all that stuff totally resonated. Now, you're going to hate this, but I'm so sorry. But the thing that was, <laughs> that like really got me about this was it, it, it just reinforced what I have felt all along, that it was a mistake to age up John as opposed to letting him grow naturally. That's all. Like Franklin Richards grew naturally? Is that what you're going to get? 
here's the thing, and I know this is its own conversation, but relevant enough here. I don't understand why John Kent needs to be Superman. I feel like if you had kept him at 13, or look, maybe now enough time has passed, he's 14 or he's 15, and he can be a Superboy and go on many of these same adventures that he already is. Like, he doesn't need to be 11 or 12, like, he, you know, mid teen, I think is kind of a fair balance. And he can have a lot of these same stories, but you you don't rob rob the audience of seeing his development, and you don't you don't take that away from that family. Like I feel like that was I, I I'll never get on board with that. And again, I also don't know why even at eighteen, like he's to me he's still Superboy, and I, I love the Son of Kal El series. Like it was great, I enjoyed it. I'm, I'll be reading the uh, the John Kent miniseries for next week's episodes. I'm looking forward to it. Like I to be clear, I love the character, but I still don't know why he needs to be. Superman. I know they got a big pop when they announced, you know, that Superman is bisexual and all that, right? And again, totally on board with that for that character. But I'm just saying, as far as like why it has to be that mantle, I, again, I just would have preferred if we had allowed him to just grow naturally. So I, I do, you know, stick to my standpoint that uh, I want Superboy with the Legion of Superheroes. There was a point where I was exactly like you, where I went by John Byrne, Man of Steel, that Superboy was not a thing. Not a thing. They even show you storylines as far as like why it wasn't a thing and well, who was the Legion interacting with? Who, who was that? They cover all that stuff. Superboy, not a thing. That's where I was at for a long time until I learned more about the Legion of Superheroes. Then I really, really wanted a Superboy to be able to interact with them. That's why uh, when... uh. Uh, Connor Kent, back when he was still very new with the leather jacket, when he got to interact with Legion, I was like, this is awesome. It's happening. I think that when it functions properly, it's not really like the storyline, which was awesome, which which, uh, Jeff Johns and Gary Frank did in Action Comics, where it's Superman doing stuff, and oh, here's his friends, the Legion. When it functions best, it's like the team. This character's doing this. This character's doing that. Superboy's got your back over here. This character's doing that. He's part of a team. And and I kind of, I got a little bit of that, but that's not something that, that is uh really got to fully be realized. I got a tiny bit of that. Um, You know, Superman and Lois were not at all good with having lost that time. They, they, they were hurt by that. That was uh, apparent in the story. They couldn't do anything about it, though. But... I equally didn't get the thing that I thought I was going to be getting for a period of time. And we went instantly into Superman, like you said. So where, where then does that character go next? I don't know. I I don't, I don't know. Well, is there anything else you wanted to say about that one shot though? Um, well, like, like I was saying, like everything that happened wasn't necessarily good. It wasn't necessarily Superman having this, perfect life like some bad things happen to to john in in the quest to be a worthy superhero and like a, a you know let me make my parents proud right some bad stuff happened to him um all of those one shots were not of that quality they weren't i feel like that was probably your better one out of all those showing where is the justice league right now you know they're not dead we know that but where are they None of them quite did what that one accomplished. Um, 
I'm trying to remember where the stories you even collected. If there's like, I think there's a Dark Crisis companion of some type. I'm yeah, pretty I, sure. I think it's called Worlds Without a Justice League or something like that, right? That that's what it is. That's what it is. Um, having read all three of these volumes together, I do feel I feel a little better about the story. I had more fun with it. I had more fun with it than, than uh, because I feel like even I dropped off on Incarnate somewhere, or even I was like I. Uh, I don't know what's going on. I give up, which is not really like me to do. But having read all these in succession versus when they come out on a weekly basis, which is usually how I take in all my contents on that weekly basis. I very rarely will pick up something in graphic novel that I've never read before. Like I usually don't buy a movie that I haven't already watched. I'm the same way with graphic novels. But I had a lot more fun with this one. You know, there's a point in... Justice League Incarnate, where President Superman and uh, the new character, Dr. Multiverse, have to go to Earth-33 and go to a comic book store and buy some back issues of DC Comics and get approached by an editor to, like, uh, they need for a certain thing to, uh, they need to write their story. They need to write their outcome. And that's kind of, maybe it's too much. Maybe it's too meta. or Maybe it's fun. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Hey, listen, I'm glad, I'm glad you had more fun with it. It it definitely sounds like you got more mileage out of this crisis than I did. And I, as always, anytime when I don't like something, I, I, I do genuinely hope other people liked it. I, you know, it's, it's not like I'm here trying to convince anyone to, to dislike it. And I would love to hear from people who really enjoyed it, but I would also be curious to know if those same people read death metal in particular. Right. And I don't even mean that you read it a week earlier like me, but I mean, if you read it in 2020, it's I, that's 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 kind of the thing that I would be uh, that I would be most curious about. <laughs> we are an affiliate of BCW Supplies. So the next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes and more, be sure to use promo code FSP to save 10 percent on your order. That's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions. It helps support the show, too. Thank you. Did you, I know I've asked you a bunch about the customer reactions. Were there folks new, new to this or not who expressed excitement over the return of that original multiverse? Like, did people seem dialed into that at all? Like, oh, like Jermaine, like they brought back like those original infinite earths are back. Well, so here, here's the thing that I can never I cannot answer that question directly because I'm pretty sure that the flash television show had covered multiverse stuff at that point. So I can't, I don't know if a person would be completely uh, unaware of the idea or maybe they heard about it in passing or like, Oh, this is the thing that was on, you know, we did a whole season of, of this TV show that kind of covered this. Now it's happening in the comic books. Okay. And I'm ready for it. I don't know. Cause I forget that sometimes that, in today's world where we are, the general public has encountered, you know, all kinds of characters and, and subject matter and haven't never looked at a comic book, but they, they have encountered the subject matter and know the characters. I forget that sometimes because that's not really the world that I came from, you know, where the general public water cooler conversation multiverse. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I guess, Two last things to say about Dark Crisis. Number one, I'm gonna be a little bit of a jerk for a second, but hopefully this is at least amusing. So I use the Office. I use no, I use the Office a lot, you know, for for analogies. And uh, you know, there's the 
the safety training episode from early on in the show. I think it's season three where the upstairs white collar office workers go downstairs to the warehouse and they get a, a safety demonstration from, from, from Daryl. You know, he's talking about operating all this heavy, uh, dangerous equipment, right? And Michael, you know, this gets insecure. And so he invites all the warehouse workers back upstairs to the office uh, and has Toby, their HR person, lead a safety demonstration about all the things you have to watch out for in the office, right? Like you don't want to get carpal tunnel syndrome and you don't want to sit too long. So you really need to take, get up and, and take breaks and walk and you got to watch out for paper cuts. And at a certain point, Daryl cuts him off and he's like, listen, what we do downstairs is dangerous work. This is foolishness, shenanigans. And it's one of my favorite, it's a great episode and the foolishness shenanigans bit is, is fantastic. And and again, I don't say this to be mean, but like that's that's kind of the way I feel with with Dark Crisis versus even just the Metal Wars. I feel like the Metal Wars is like the downstairs <laughs> warehouse safety demonstration. It's like, listen, there's some, I lost my camera here for a second, but that's all right. It's like, you know, downstairs, <laughs> like it's dangerous business. There's a lot of stuff going on here. You got to watch out. You got to pay attention. The stakes are high. And I feel like Dark Crisis is kind of like, you know, you used the word basic before. I feel like there's, again, not 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 a ton of, of meat on the bone. It, it, it feels light for a crisis event. And I feel like putting that, when you put that title out there, it, it you know, it does mean something. And for anyone who, who read it and got that from it, great. I didn't necessarily, and I do kind of wonder and worry about w what's next and, and, and you know how how close in time will the next event be, and will it will it live up to what I guess I think a crisis should be? But also, who am I? You know, it is it is what it is. I think that it's good to do storylines because every event is someone's first. You know, we just did a storyline called Night Terrors from DC, in which case, similar to Convergence, all of our monthly titles took two months off. We did this storyline called Night Terrors with two chapter stories. And then our titles resumed two months later. And a lot of people, this was their first, like, oh, I'm going to get all these parts. And it was pretty good. It was better than I thought it would be. You know, it, it was, it had kind of a 90s vibe in a good way. If it makes sense in, in a good way. And it was a pleasant surprise. And I was, again, surprised by the number of people that this was their first foray into a DC event as it was coming out. Now, I think that, DC has got to be more careful and deliberate about a crisis, you know, a, a, any type of Red Skies event, any type of Red Skies thing. And even the use of the word crisis, you have to be a little more uh, deliberate about that one. Will they be? I don't know. But I personally feel like they need to be a little more uh, careful and intentional if we're going to call something a crisis. Because like you said, we, we, we just did Death Metal, which was a crisis because you were in a new DC universe on the other side of the story. They tell, they tell you that. It's not just a marketing editorial. They tell you that. We're in a new place now. To do something like this so close together, like, do you think you would have felt better about it if maybe it had been three years, five years, and not – it, was, it wasn't two years, right? Not a full two years, no. No, definitely not because uh, – Infinite Frontier was six parts. Incarnate was five parts. And then you, there you're at the doorstep of, of a dark crisis. So would you have felt better if more time passed, perhaps? Maybe. I, I still, this, 
same things what you got. I, I still think that I'd have the same issues, but maybe it would be alleviated slightly. So, so maybe I, I think there might be something to that. I, as we're talking this through, right. And you know, you brought up again about how the DO was ousted and, you know, around, I, I guess during or right after death metal, we'd have to check the exact timing, but I look, I have nothing to back this up. I have no idea. It's my pure speculation, just based on the way it reads. Right. And also, cause I'm trying to reconcile some things, right. The way it reads compared to death metal, but also this idea that I keep coming back to that, like Williamson was in on that. So it just seemed odd, you know, to do something that, that, you know, is, is seemingly kind of chasing some of the same things in terms of this evil force that has been manipulating them and infinite earths and all that stuff. And I, I do sort of think that I, or I wouldn't be surprised if the mandate was, Hey, you know, we've had a changing of the guard, right? And, or maybe the reaction to death metal, you know, wasn't what they wanted or whatever the case, or maybe just the fact that they had a changing of the guard and it was like, Hey, we want to do we want to do a, like that last one wasn't even called crisis. Like we want to do a crisis event. And you know, if you didn't read that, you know, like, cause there's enough in there that obviously references death metal and the omniverse and everything. But then there's so much that I feel like, like steps on its toes. So it's, it's this weird line that it's walking. And so I wonder, like, I wonder if from Williamson's perspective, like parts of this, he was tasked with, but he was part of that group that worked on the last event. So that's why there's as much connective tissue as there is like maybe there was a very tough line that he was asked to straddle here i really don't know but i wonder like you know pariah is in infinite frontier so clearly something was planned for going back that far but it does kind of seem like i don't want to say okay anybody got anything it's not quite that but i think that there's got to be a ton of ideas that were in Williamson's notebook from when he was like a kid or something that came into play here. And there's also some things like, all right, you got to get Titan set up. You got to make sure you reference that uh, uh, Deathstroke recently lost another another child. And that's part of why he's really buying into this, like uh, why he's susceptible to the great darkness and he's all in on, you know, shut all this down, you know, attack everybody. I, I don't know, though. I, I feel like this is what might happen. I think that you're going to, you're going to read multiversity and you're going to reread something out of all this, out of all this content. It might be final crisis. It might be that you look at maybe justly incarnate. You're going to pick up something out of the things you've interacted with after you've read multiversity, because even I didn't realize how much multiversity, like you said, they, they can't get away from the map. <laughs> They cannot get away from the map. And I think that once you read that story, you might feel differently about that. Because right now you're kind of like, oh, they love this map, don't they? Because I think you're thinking of the uh, that promo giveaway map is what you're thinking about versus the actual story by Grant Morrison where that is part of the story. And therefore it keeps turning up as part of our story. So... That's my prediction on that. You might reread something. Listen, like I, I was literally surprised that in doing this, that, that wasn't worked in similar to how technically doomsday clock wasn't really a crisis event in that something that you're in a new era of DC 
it was almost like a reverse crisis where it explained why things were changed, if that makes sense. And certainly, I think you cannot read Doomsday Clock and then read Dark Crisis. I think you can't really like go from one to the other because uh, the intent, the quality is com- it's completely different. For sure. Oh, believe me, I thought about doing a multiversity episode. I will get to it on some podcast at some point. And look, I've done enough of these episodes now and I've had my opinion change enough times where I don't, you know, I don't say any of this like, oh, it's set in stone and I'll never think differently, right? I, I, that's not how I operate. And I think it's important to be open-minded and, you know, the idea of maybe revisiting this at some point and, and you know, maybe if it is sparked by multiversity, I'm, I'm more than open to that. And to be honest, man, I would love it. I would love to go back to Dark Crisis and be like, no, man, I really love it now. And who knows? I might one day go on a huge Nightwing kick and then I read Dark Crisis from that perspective specifically and I might feel totally different. So I I, I fully, you know, I, I, I fully admit that. Now, I don't know what else to say that we haven't said in all of these epic episodes. I want to thank you for taking part in this. I, sh- I really want to thank you for listening to all of the episodes uh, as many times as you did, I, I appreciate it. It's a time capsule. It's a great time capsule because, like I said, I other than original crisis, I was operating as a retailer, you know, pitching these stories on, on pretty much all of these, including you know, including zero hour to a to a degree. Um, that I was around for all this stuff as recently as Dark Crisis, which is so recent. That's why I don't have a whole lot of. Uh, I mean, I made a ton of like notes, but I also don't have not enough time has passed for me to really have more connection to the story. Not enough time has passed. And even if time does pass, I don't really know if I'll be extracting anything more out of this story. Maybe that's not how this story works. Maybe that's not its purpose. You know, Doomsday Clock, I feel like I can come back to that from time to time and get something else out of it. But this one, I just don't know. I do genuinely feel that this this one is more is more surface level, and that's and that's fine. Um, especially, look, I complained about how dense, uh, you know, uh, the metal stuff was. So it's like this is something that is, you know, that that's not that. So uh, you know, it's, it's it's totally fine. I thank every guest who has joined me. Some homework assignments have been heavier than others. You know, even though we're going through all of these crisis events, sometimes the the page count has been the page count has varied, but it's always you know, it's, it's always a lot that we're talking about, uh, even for the quote unquote shorter ones. And so everyone just came in prepared and ready to play as all of the guests always do. Uh, and I always appreciate it and, and it makes it fun. And I love having the mix that we have because it, it, you know, it, it, you know, keeps everything fresh. And so I appreciate everyone that's come on to participate. And I so appreciate the audience. You know, some of these events obviously were more Superman heavy than others. And there's a version of this event on Digging for Kryptonite where I just focused on the Superman-centric ones. But I felt like if I was going to do this, like I really had to do this and, and do it this way. And so, uh, you know, our, our numbers have been consistent, but I've noticed certainly the ones that have been more Superman-heavy, they've, they've popped a little bit more uh, on the downloads. And I understand that. But I'm especially grateful. I'm grateful to anyone who's listened to any of these, but especially those who have listened all the way through and have joined us for these events, especially if there are events you haven't read and you've still listened to the episodes, that means a lot. And I, and I really appreciate it. And it, this was just something that I kind of had the itch to do. Like I just had to do it. And, and I'm glad cause man, I had these, I had these gaps, you know, there were these recent events that I hadn't read. There were older events that I hadn't gotten what I really needed to get out of them or 
or I did, but I was just overdue to revisit them. And so going back and seeing the history of the DC universe in this way, and especially seeing the evolution of Superman in, in this way in, in, in select events has really been fascinating. And yes, some of it's been frustrating and there have been times <laughs> where I've been fired up and banging my head against the wall, but, but maybe going back to what you said before, you know, maybe that is part of what it means to be a DC fan. <laughs> I think that at this point, this is a, it's a uniquely DC experience and this is what we show up for. And it's just a matter of, is it, it there's that fine line of, was that really neat or is that absurd? And you never know how it's going to go. Um, one one anecdote I wanted to share, but, but before I you know, return to the ether, return to the bleed. Um, when I had started here at the store, you know, around 1996, there was an opinion at DC Comics that they did not want to talk about Crisis on Infinite Earths. They did not want to refer to it. They didn't want to talk about it. They certainly did not want to do a graphic novel of it because I'm pretty sure there had been no graphic novel of it at that point. You know, we were gathering up as often as we could sets of those 12 issues to bind them together, you know, and, and put them in one magazine bag and offer them up like, okay, you just read zero hour, but did you read crisis on infinite arts? Here it is. You know, we were trying to make a point to do that and we we're doing it pretty well. We were, we were making this older story active again. And, you know, we would mention, you know, there were some barriers between, us at, you know, the ages we were working at the store and, you know, the, the middle person slash, you know, owner of the store and then to the DC rep, there were some barriers there at, at, at points, but it was like, we were trying to make a case for, you know, you guys need to reprint crisis on infinite arts, you know, by George Perez and, and Marv Wolfman death of Barry Allen. You know, we're in the Wally West era right now. You need to reprint this thing. Right? Don't you think? And there's even a point where I want to say I was at a convention or something, and and, and I suggested to, to Bob Wayne to reprint that. Didn't want to do it. Actually, no, that's not true. I suggested to Bob Wayne during OMAC project, I think, to reprint Justice League International, which is where you get you know Ted Cord Blue Beetle. I was like, you've just made this character, you know, important in the forefront. We've just lost this character, but there's nothing to supplement. There's nothing to read that says, oh, well, who was that guy? Didn't want to do that. But anyway, there was a sentiment. They don't want to talk about crisis. Don't want to talk about it. But they did at that time, and you may own this or may have seen it, a crisis hardcover slipcase. It had a, it was not oversized. It was standard size, but it came with a silver slipcase. And that is the first time you saw that painted Alex Ross image. You know the one I'm talking about, where it's like all the characters and Barry is running and getting zapped. And, you know, the two Superman are, are, are holding, you know, the, the characters like that, that just bold, awesome, incredible Ross image. Where I think he painted over George Perez pencils and it was like, just behold the crisis. So we were going to make that the big holiday item here at Abbey Comics. So we had taken pre-orders, like, you know, money down pre-orders, because when we suggested this is how many copies we need, you know, the the, the powers that be were like, oh, what? Absolutely not. Because I think we were asking for 50 copies because we had 40 sold. 
you know, cash in hand just to ensure that, like, look, the people have paid for this. So we got to get this, which normally is, isn't something we would have done. But it's supposed to be the big holiday item. As will happen, you know, we're getting weeks away from, from you know, the heart of Christmas. Thing is not here. Thing is not here. Thing is not here. And thing isn't here. So I want to say the week before, like we'd seen the invoice for next week, not on there. We had to generate this uh, this voucher <laughs> for a copy of Crisis on Infinite Earth. So a person that bought one for someone else would be able to present them with something. And I think there's a handful of copies of this document that exists in the world. Not many, but uh, we had to very quickly come up with something. So for gift purposes, uh, you could hand the, the gift recipient something versus like, oh, I bought you this hardcover. I don't know what it's coming in. So I do have a copy of that uh, uh, on my shelf just for sentimental reasons, you know, from that point of time here at Acme Comics. So if you ever see one of those in the wild or you look one up on eBay to see what it looked like, that was the one. That was the one. Oh, thank you for sharing that. I, I do. Re- I do remember. I never I never owned it, but I, I do know what you're talking about. But I will look it up just to take a look at it again. It's. It's crazy to think, right, that they needed any convincing to reprint that, even even in an earlier era where things were not getting reprinted all the time. But still, the big things were, right? And you you would think that would be one of them. It's it's wild to think about. I mean, thankfully now it's gone through multiple iterations. I think the most recent one would be that 35th anniversary hardcover. I'm assuming we'll be getting a 40th anniversary one uh, in a couple of years. Uh, but what, yeah, what a far and I don't know where that sentiment came from because that you know surely Paul Levitz wouldn't have felt that way. So I don't know where that was coming from. Maybe marketing was saying let's not talk about this. I don't know. Amazing. Well, thank you for that. Thank you for everything. Thank you to the guests. Thank you to the audience. One thing I know for sure: while this is the end of our 13 episode Red Skies event, I know there will be a chapter 14 and a chapter 15. Uh, down the line, because one thing that we know, it's it's really only a matter of when, not if, when it comes to DC. And, I mean, more immediately and more specifically, we know we're getting an animated adaptation. And, of course, when the time comes, we'll cover that. But next week, uh, we will we will, <laughs> we will will move into uh, Blue Skies and we'll actually check in on the current Superman title. So I'm excited to get caught up on what's been going on in the book since Action 1050. So we'll catch up on the past you know, half year or so of the Superman titles. I'm really excited. Uh, we have a few fun standalone episodes coming up over the coming weeks. And then I've announced this already on social media, but we'll be finishing the year with this six-part Krypton-centric event that I'm really excited for. So uh, please make sure you keep tuning in. Thank you all. And of course, as always, it's about what you do. It's about action. This show is part of the Flat Squirrel Podcast Network. Home to Digging for Kryptonite, another exciting episode in The Adventures of Superman, Summoning the Zords, and My Comic Shop History, available wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review today. Sign up at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato for additional content. Thank you all.